Welcome to The Invested Investor. I'm sat here with Toby Norman. Toby is the CEO of Simprints. Toby, let's just hear a little bit about your background in Simprints, please. Wonderful, Alan. It's great to be here. Simprints is a non-profit technology company that came out of the University of Cambridge about three years ago. The challenge that Simprints is trying to solve is what's known as the identification bottleneck. The fact that today, 1.1 billion people, that's one in seven people on the planet, have no formal identity whatsoever. They're functionally invisible in the eyes of the world, mostly in poor and developing countries. What this means is that it's incredibly difficult for organizations that are trying to fight poverty and global disease. So picture teams such as UNICEF, Mercy Corps, Doctors Without Borders, and others to link patients or beneficiaries consistently to records showing, for example, that they've received healthcare services or access to education. If you could imagine yourself as a health worker in a place like Bangladesh, and there's a child in front of you, and that child has no birth certificate, no vaccine record, just a name that potentially overlaps with hundreds of other kids in that particular slum, it's really hard to know, have we actually reached the correct child with health services? Which services have they received? Which services haven't they received? That's fundamentally the challenge Simprince is trying to solve. So how did you get to create and found Simprints? What was your background before that? So my background's in global health. I've been in this space for about 10 years, first at Harvard, then more recently at the University of Cambridge. I was actually doing my PhD research on frontline nonprofit workers in Bangladesh. One of the contexts we're working with was frontline community health workers who were going house to house in slums in Dhaka, trying to deliver basic maternal health care services. What we found that it was really difficult for these health workers to be able to link patients consistently to a digital record. So, for example, in the maternal health care space, you're trying to see each mother about four times before they deliver their child. You're looking for anemia, preeclampsia, the things that can potentially kill moms around the period of childbirth. And seeing this challenge up front was really where I first started thinking that identity is actually a hard and difficult challenge that the global health community is facing and we should try and solve. Okay. So you came up with the idea at Cambridge University then? Do you have a co-founder at that time? or? Yeah. So I actually first had a couple of different rounds of co-founders. The final co-founding class, I'd say, was four of us. But initially, when we started working on this project, I never thought we'd build a company out of this problem. I attended a hackathon in 2012 that was talking about how do we improve the way we deliver digital healthcare in developing countries. And that was where the first idea of using biometrics. So, for example, something like a fingerprint is that unique link between a person and their digital health record came about. And we just started working on this really as a nights and weekends project. I was still doing my PhD at the time. I had accepted a job at McKinsey, so I was thinking about what I'd do next steps in terms of my career. Had no ambition whatsoever to be an entrepreneur, to actually ever build out a company. But as we got further and further into this problem, it really just became too interesting to let go and too important to let go. And so I think it really was at the end of my PhD where I had to sit down and figure out what I wanted to do next. And it just became incredibly clear to me that the right thing to do was to turn down the job at McKinsey and actually throw my weight behind trying at least to build a tech company to solve this challenge. So was there four of you at that point? There was four of us at that point. So three friends from the University of Cambridge and actually my brother who had just finished his master's in computer science at the University of London. 
And that was the founding team of Simprints. Oh, brilliant. Are all four of them still there today? All still here, which is actually surprising and a little bit unusual in the startup world to have, first off, four co-founders and have four co-founders still in the journey at this point. So I think I've been incredibly fortunate with my co-founding team. So how big is the complete team now? So at the end of this recruiting cycle, we're going to be at 25. So in three years, it's been quite a lot of growth for a nonprofit tech company, which is actually part of the reason we're moving here to these new facilities in Bradfield. Okay, brilliant. So tell us a little bit more about the product then. So what Simprince does is it links people to their digital health or digital service records through biometrics like their fingerprints. Biometrics is a relatively mature market. It's been around at least digital biometrics since the 1970s. And we looked at a bunch of different biometric modalities. So these are things like fingerprints, facial recognition, iris. There's a whole different number. The challenge we found, particularly in our work in Bangladesh and later in sub-Saharan Africa, was that of the different modalities, fingerprints, in theory, should give you the best accuracy per cost, but the highest levels of cultural acceptability. So, for example, in many of the places we work, things like facial recognition are just culturally not appropriate. In Bangladesh, where you have Muslim women sometimes who are veiled, and are definitely uncomfortable with community health workers showing up and taking photos. But if you want to use fingerprints, one of the challenges we ran into immediately was the fact that the populations we work with are very different from the ones we have in the West. For example, if you're a farmer in a place like Kenya and you've spent the past 20 years in agriculture, your fingerprints are actually worn down and scarred from years of manual labor. Similarly, for example, if you're a day laborer hauling bricks in Dhaka City, or you're just a housewife in a community in Nepal with scarred and damaged fingertips because you've been cooking on open fires most of your life. This meant that when we actually started testing biometric technology, we found that the fingerprint accuracy was much, much lower than what we would see typically in the West. And so what we did while we were still at Cambridge was actually hand collect over 135,000 fingerprints from four different countries and optimize the hardware and software we were working with to be 228% more accurate than the next best technology on the market with scarred and damaged fingerprints. That was really the technical challenge we had to solve as we began to develop Simprints and led to a lot of the innovations that we continue to work on today. Sorry, you said hand collected 135,000. <laughs> Do you mean that literally? or I mean that literally. <laughs> I mean hundreds of hours sitting in vaccination clinics, sitting in schools, wow. sitting in hospitals. Literally, myself and my co-founding team taking people's fingers and manually placing them on different types of biometric sensors to figure out which type of hardware and software is going to give us the best accuracy. It still is to date the world's largest academic data set of developing world fingerprints. It was an incredible amount of effort, but we had almost no resources when we started. And so this is really what it took to understand how do you make fingerprint technology work at the last mile context like this. Okay, so what does a product actually look like now if you've recently been in Bangladesh and you've got a large presence there? What are people using? So if you imagine the product is a combination of things, it's actually it's a biometric system, which includes software, hardware, technical configuration, and then support and analytics. So for example, what that means with our partners with BRAC in Bangladesh, which is actually it's the world's largest NGO, is that BRAC community health workers are currently using smartphones to go house to house and collect patient data and transfer that data up to a central server. Simprints essentially plugs into that already existing digital healthcare system. And so the health worker is able to use a hardware fingerprint scanner designed by Simprints. So this is rugged, waterproof, shockproof with a long lasting battery life. 
that collects the patient's fingerprint, transmits it wirelessly to the smartphone, where the health worker is able to pull up, either online or offline, the patient's healthcare record, and then continue working with that healthcare record like they normally would throughout that visit. Simprint supports the full integration of both the software technology into this ecosystem, but also making sure health workers have the right training, the right technical support, and that we're supporting managers with the correct dashboards and analytics to make sure the system's actually being used and the data is driving change. Because at the end of the day, you can have all the technology in the world, but if managers and health workers aren't using this biometric data to make better decisions in the field, then you haven't achieved anything. So you talked about Kenyan farmers and how difficult it was to recognize their fingerprints. What percentage do you have now with the current hardware? What percentage of fingerprints are you able to recognize? It depends context to context. But when we first started evaluating the technology that was already existing on the market, we saw something known as equal error rates. So that's the balance between a false accept and a false reject rate. Just like normal science, you've got type 1 and type 2 errors. Over 30% with a lot of technologies, which is just completely unusable. Now in Simprint's projects, our accuracy rates range anywhere from 100% to 98% based on the project and the context you're working in. There's a number of things we can do to consistently bring that up to nearly 100% every time based on the number of fingerprints that you're willing to collect in field and the accuracy requirements of the project. But basically, at the end of the day, this is a fingerprint technology that genuinely works at the last mile in these contexts and has been proven now. I think we're in actually in 10 different countries at the moment with deployments with over 11 different clients. Our largest deployment with BRAC in Bangladesh will cover 2.1 million mothers and children over the next three years. It's our first national-scale project, uh, supported by the Gates Foundation, DFID, and many other great partners, including ARM, and we're incredibly excited to take this work forward. You talked about being a non-profit earlier. Can you explain um, your non-profit status and why you went down this route? Yeah, we thought really hard in the early days about how we wanted to structure the organization. And if anyone's interested in the topic of how do you legally structure a social enterprise, We actually open-sourced our research on this topic in a white paper that we wrote with the local law firm Taylor Vinters. So if you go down to our website to the resources page, you'll find a white paper called The Legal Landscape that looks at the different options for social enterprises. We'll put that in the show notes for people. At the end of the day, I think there were a couple key things that motivated our decision. First and foremost, we knew that we wanted to plant a flag in the ground in terms of what type of organization we wanted to be. And that was really being an impact organization, an organization that put impact first. And I truly believe that you can do this either as a for-profit or as a non-profit. But being a non-profit did give us a lot of advantages in the early days in terms of signaling to the market and signaling to our partners that this is something we were serious about. However, we were quite determined that we did not want to be a charity. And actually, Simprints is a nonprofit, but it's not a charitable organization, does not accept charitable dollars. And actually, it's working incredibly hard to make sure that the vast majority of its income comes from sales revenues. So clients such as Watsi, Mercy Corps, Doctors Without Borders, or other partners actually pay us for the technology and the services we provide so that we're fundamentally accountable to this tech working in the field and making a difference. And so we've been on a transition since we went to market about a year and a half ago to become a revenues-driven social enterprise organization, a non-profit social enterprise. And we've made incredible progress on this front. So about 18 months ago, I think we were 3.6% revenue-funded, and the rest was funded by grants and foundations. Today, that number is 36% funded by sales revenues. And the target by the end of this year is to get to 50% if we can. So we're working hard to make this transition. Brilliant. 
So obviously you started off with grant payments. How easy was it to get those grants? And did you do it purely in the UK or globally? <laughs> yes. Good question. It's incredibly difficult to raise grant capital in this space. And so I would encourage anyone who's thinking about going this route to choose the legal structure and the status that's going to work for you for the right reasons. Don't assume that it's going to be easier to raise money through grant capital than potentially taking on for-profit or equity investment. I would say we saw a couple distinct stages in our journey. The first stage is you are really a storyteller and you're pitching for frankly, very small amounts of money. So when we started, we actually pitched at student business plan competitions in Cambridge University. I think uh, our first £5,000 came from the Q, Cambridge University Entrepreneurs Business Plan Competition. And really, that was the all the money we had to do a lot of our initial field testing, prototyping, a lot of that initial work. So we started with very small sums of money for a very long time. About two years, Simprints was a student volunteer group which was working on this project. What that phase allowed us to do, though, was start to actually generate data showing that there was potential viable solutions here. And we were finally able to take enough of that data to larger grant-based foundations, specifically something called the Saving Lives at Birth Award, which is a combination of Gates Foundation, DFID, USAID, and other funding sources. And that was our first 250k of proper funding to actually start this full-time. From then, we've been really fortunate to partner with a number of other amazing organizations, including support from ARM, organizations such as the Global Innovations Fund, Draper Richard Kaplan, Autodesk, and others. And really compiling those sources together got much stronger at building grant funding applications, actually deploying our first projects. The final stage that I hope we're in now is actually the transition from that to really becoming a revenue-driven organization while still partnering with selected foundations or potentially philanthropists on exciting R&D initiatives. So have you got any key tips for entrepreneurs that are looking to raise grant funding? This is definitely a challenging area, and I think a couple lessons that we've learned over the past couple of years. First, you need to be very clear, what is the story that you're trying to tell? And often a combination we found that works particularly well is making sure you have a qualitative human story, that people understand and could potentially even relate to, or at least be able to imagine themselves in that situation. But you need to support that story with a quantitative empirical story that's driven by data. And I think this is really important. Potentially too often in some of the work I see in the charity sector, it's purely the human story and only the human story, which while meaningful and important, I think if you're not willing to back that up with actual market data, showing the scope of the problem, the potential of the technical solution, and evidence that what you're proposing could genuinely work, I think you're missing opportunities to get on board supporters and funders who are going to be driven more by that kind of evidence. Where's Simpints going? What's the future hold? So our focus at the moment really is growth and proving out the impact of what we do. What growth means in concrete terms is actually transitioning from the pilot phase to our first scale projects. So as I mentioned, we're now in 10 different deployments all across sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. And we're about to start our first national scale deployment in Bangladesh with BRAC. This is going to be a massive challenge that we've never taken on a project of this size or scope before. I know we've got a lot of learnings coming down the pipeline, but this is also incredibly exciting because if we can make this work, we can prove that you can deploy biometrics accurately, safely, robustly, and cost-effectively at national scale to improve the way that we fight disease and fight poverty at the front lines. 
In order to support that work, we're also going to need to very clearly build an evidence base that shows that this is physically changing people's lives. And so a big part of our commitment is actually research. It's doing things, for example, like randomized control trials, impact evaluations, and other hard quantitative evaluations of what's the actual difference using something like a fingerprint, for example, to improve maternal health care coverage, or decrease fraud and cash transfers, or try and fight teacher absenteeism in sub-Saharan Africa. Can we show that those things have a concrete impact in people's lives? Because even if we achieve massive scale, if what Simprints is bringing to the table isn't adding value to individual humans, there's no point of the work we do. And that's why I think you really need to have both. What we call at Simprints is the impact equation, that combination of breadth or scale with depth, depth of impact and actual difference to a person. And if you can achieve both of those things, then I think you're really onto something. That's hugely inspirational for our listeners to hear. So... You've built the business up to around 25 people that you said, and you're moving into a nice new space here at the Bradfield Centre. What are the lessons you've learned? And have you got any tips for entrepreneurs that are looking to start a company? Definitely learned a couple lessons. I think we still have quite a lot to learn in this space, but a few lessons I think we've learned the hard way. First one, it really, at the end of the day, is all about team. I have been told this so many times, but it seems to be a lesson that I managed to relearn at least once a quarter in one way, shape or form. To make that more actionable, though, you know, yes, everyone gets that it's important to have high quality, motivated, ambitious people as part of your team. How do you actually get that? How do you put that together? So to give one concrete example on the engineering front, one of the challenges we have as a nonprofit technology company is that we're in Cambridge competing with top technical talent from some of the biggest players in this space players like Apple, players like Amazon. How do you ever compete on things like engineering salaries against those players? And so I think we've had to think very strategically, how do we actually get the best talent when those are the opportunities they're also looking at? And I think what we've really learned is that you've got to think very strategically about what are your areas of relative strength that you can apply to their areas of relative weakness in terms of the value proposition they're proposing to those potential employees. And so, for example, if we're going toe-to-toe with Amazon for engineering talent, there's no way we're going to be able to compete on salary. So don't spend your time or waste your money coming in below, you know, 20, 30, 50% below what Amazon could offer, because it's not going to actually seal the deal. Where you can compete, though, is you can absolutely compete in areas like purpose. So is there something meaningful to the work you're doing? Autonomy in terms of control over people's lives, giving them the freedom, the flexibility, and the responsibility to have ownership. For example, one thing Simprints does is we do unlimited pay time off. We screen very hard for people who are so passionate about making the world a better place and doing great engineering that they're going to choose when they need to take a rest, refresh, and come back to work. We think really hard about culture and team. And these are areas that it's actually it's tough for Amazon to compete on. No matter how exciting and huge the organization is, at the end of the day, it's not going to be making the type of difference to, for example, really poor children's lives in Bangladesh that an organization like Simprints can make. And so if we compete on those areas strategically, we've got a much stronger chance of landing the type of talent we need to solve the technical challenges we face. And those technical challenges are massive, very exciting, very cutting edge, but very difficult. The second thing I'd focus on is fast feedback cycles, particularly if you're thinking about working in the nonprofit area. Something that we've seen very consistently in our work and that we find incredibly important is having really clear feedback loops for the different stakeholders in your ecosystem. So you can imagine a normal for-profit context. Essentially, your customer and your payer are the same person. So if I am selling an application on the pay store that 
does some function and I'm selling that directly to a consumer. If the application is good, the customer will buy it, will pay for it. That's a pretty tight feedback loop. If no one's buying my product, I know I've got to fix something. One of the challenges we have in the nonprofit sector is sometimes the user and the payer aren't the same person. So for example, our work or our project could be funded by the Gates Foundation, but the actual implementation is being done by Mercy Corps. And it might be a manager who selects Simprints to use as their biometric frontline tool But it will be a health worker, potentially in a village thousands of miles from there, who's actually, at the end of the day, the one using Simprints. And a beneficiary who has nothing to do with any of that except their interaction with the health worker, who's actually receiving the service. So in order for us to stay effective, we've really got to think, what are our feedback loops with every single one of those stakeholders? Obviously, with the payer, it's a financial feedback loop, and that's often the dominant and the strong one that a lot of people in this space focus on. But I think there's a real risk if you just focus on that financial feedback loop, you're actually going to miss the hugely important user feedback loop to the health worker and the impact feedback loop to the beneficiary. And if you don't have those things, you're not going to be learning and you're not going to be continuously improving the work you do. And I think that's fundamental because this area is too complicated for anyone to be able to predict how everything's going to go first time around. You have to have those feedback loops so you can learn, so you can improve. That's what it takes to create impact at scale. Although a lot of companies won't be based in Bangladesh and have their managers somewhere else, that is really useful to a lot of companies. Well, Toby, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the Invest Investor podcast. Hugely insightful, particularly about non-profit fundraising. And I know you've already won a number of awards and I know Simprints will uh, continue to do brilliant work. Thank you. Fantastic. Real pleasure being here today, Alan. And you can check us out if you're interested in our work, www.simprints.com or follow us on Twitter. Thanks a lot. Brilliant. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another Invested Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, investedinvestor.com, or via a number of podcast platforms online. Remember, you can order our book online. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting, and insightful content from The Invested Investor. Invested Investor.